Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing the latest entry in the Jumanji franchise, Jumanji The Next Level, all three versions of the Christmas slasher movie Black Christmas, the latest from Clint Eastwood, the biopic about uh, Atlanta Olympics uh, hero Richard Jewell, the uh, newest A24 movie, Waves, from the director of It Comes at Night, and arguably the worst movie I have ever seen, uh, Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager's No Safe Spaces. Let's get started. What the hell is this? It's your strengths and weaknesses. Smoldering intensity? It's a stupid face you make. Huh? What's going on? You having a heart attack? Breathe. Breathe. His whole left side is shutting down. Eddie. All in the I'm not exactly sure why when the initial Jumanji sequel came out, I was so, like, adamant that, oh my god, this is so terrible. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. Because upon rewatch, it's genuinely a fairly solid movie. It's not amazing. It's still not as good as that original. But it, it's, a, it's a good idea for a reboot. And I can commend it for that. The only thing I really didn't like upon rewatch that I didn't like the first time was this weird obsession with the like, penis jokes because Jack Black is playing a teenage girl who is in, who is the who's um, in the avatar of a male character and so it's like oh my god penis 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 and it's like uh... <laughs> it feels really weird like everything else Jack Black does as the character is fine but just that weird weird thing about penises is just like so awkward. And just unnecessary, but everything else was fair. You know, like the ca the uh, cast was funny and had great had great chemistry all together, and it, the story was uh, fun and adventurous, and it worked overall. So I like Welcome to the Jungle a lot better on rewatch, but um, this new one is actually a bit of an even an even more of an improvement because it takes what was hinted at at the end of the last movie about Spencer and builds on that. So there's some, they're building stuff up with these characters. And so after so many, after graduating high school, they were started doing their own things and Spencer's kind of in a rut and he's trying to get back to the way he felt when he was, um, uh, smolder bravestone and doing. And so by going back into the game, his friends are like, Oh God, we gotta go get him now. And then it becomes about, um, them reconnecting his friends and uh, realize, you know, like realizing what all matters to them, and that they shouldn't, you know, they should never, they should never have uh, given up on each other. So no matter what you're feeling, you should still talk with your friends and maintain those connections. Uh, otherwise, you know, other, you know, instead of delving into like a, a darker depression state, like Spencer did, it's it's, a, it's an interesting uh, and good sort of arc for his character. And. Um, yeah, the, the the new characters they've introduced this time, like uh, Aquafina's character, they're fun. Uh, <laughs> Danny DeVito is a blast as always. Um, I do think the whole Milo Walker thing uh, isn't as good, but um, you know, I do. I like <laughs> Dwayne Johnson playing Danny DeVito. Um, Jack Black is now Fridge uh, for the most part of the move. For you know, for the majority of the movie. Aquafina plays, um, you know, Aquafina goes through a couple of characters as she's the new avatar. She's like the rogue of the group. And it's, you know, they go outside the jungle now. Now there's, you know, the world of Jumanji is bigger than just, you know, jungles. Now that's, now there's mountain ranges and deserts. And so it's like, you know, various action adventures, uh, scenarios. Uh, I think the villain is better here than, uh, 
in the last movie, like they've got a barbarian sort of warlord versus, you know, just uh, freaking what's his name? Bobby Cannavale, I think it was, you know, going, uh, going full, you know, going Smeagol over a, uh, over a gemstone. And yeah, the villain here is way better. He, you know, you were dealing with like a barbaric over, you know, warlord who was willing to kill anybody who gets in his way. I will say the ending is pretty predictable overall. And, uh, you know, but that's okay because the uh, overall, you know, the overall performances make up for that. And the overall story is actually better than the last movie. So I think this one's better, but we're still not quite at that 90s. uh, I think it's like 96, 95. We're still not quite there yet. Although I haven't rewatched it in a while. I may not like it as much upon rewatch, but we'll see. I will say, uh, you don't have to stick too long. There is a there is a mid credit sequence that teases at what they have planned, and I gotta say, it's it's probably the best uh, choice to go for the for, for the follow up. That is, I'm guessing probably inevitable because um, I'm guessing people are still like you know uh, attached to this new iteration of Jumanji, and it's working for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if we got a another one out of this. And what they're hinting at seems is a very interesting take, and I'm. Curious to see what they do with it. So I'm I'm very intrigued for what's to come. But for what we got, Jumanji: The Next Level is is a is a good family adventure movie. So if you're if you you know if you're you know you're if you're sick of watch rewatching Frozen two again and again with your kids, uh, you can you can take them to Jumanji: The Next Level. I think they'll have fun. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of running. Ho, 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 bitch. You messed with the wrong sisters. All right, we got three movies to review in this segment. Uh, So I'm going to try and keep it fairly brief. Basically, all you need to know is that Black Christmas was inspired by the old urban legend. It's a mix. There is an actual, like, Canadian serial killer that inspired it. Because There's a guy who, like actively killed like co-eds and his own family around Christmas or I don't know if it was around Christmas but there was that there was a very notorious serial killer at the time and uh, the writer combined that with the old urban legend of the call is coming from inside the house the call is coming from inside the house so if you've heard that uh trope before it ties back this is the first movie to really take advantage of that old urban legend that's being said, this movie is really campy in retrospect. Like all of it, it's not as scary as much as it's like the Billy character they create for the serial killer. He has nothing. Like it's this was four years before. Um, was it, yeah, I think four years before Halloween came out, and Halloween really took the slasher genre into a more you know more serious direction. It, you know, it actually was could be taken seriously. Whereas here, this is more like a campy, almost on the level of comedy with, like, weird, insane ramblings. Like, he's almost doing an improv um, bit. Whoever's playing Billy is, like, almost doing improv, like, with the way he's calling and calling these girls and trying to scare them. He, he has no real, you know, means of scaring them. And so he's just like, waka, 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 I'm crazy. And it's like, it's it's hard to watch and take seriously. Um, there's also this interest, like the most interesting thing I can say is that in 1974 they had a 
they had an abortion subplot, but that doesn't really go anywhere. It's more of like a red herring. But yeah, and, and the main, main thing I will say is that this feels like when whenever they take a short story and try to pad it out to feature length, there's like weird th- characters that they're at. Like there's a whole cop in here whose whole bit is like, duh, I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. Ah, eh, you're, eh, he, she's probably shacking up with some guy. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. And it's, and every, even the co- other cops in the force, like you idiot. <laughs> Cause apparently the dude, like there's a bit where the dude doesn't even, hasn't, has never heard of fellatio. And so all the cops are like, oh, you idiot, pat, pat, pat. And it's like, duh, what's sex? And it's, it's like a comedy. It does feel more like a comedy. And I don't know if that was the point or not, because it doesn't feel like lightheartedness to, you know, like it doesn't feel like comedic levity in, um, or comic relief within the actual scary bits. It feels like whackity schmackity doo instead. And then like people die. But then it's not scary. So it's also like, also they do that thing of like crazy zoom-ins. Like, and it's, it's, it's not scary and it's not all that gory either. So it's, so it's just kind of silly. It's just ultimately really silly. And I can't really take it all that seriously. Uh, the remake in 2006, however, whew, that is a load of garbage. Uh, this, uh, for 2006, they clunkily just expot, like, the beginning is clunkily expositing what Billy's backstory is. And then, it basically is like the dark edgelord 13-year-old on, uh, on, like, Reddit decided to make what was a campy, goofy, uh, horror movie into, like, the darkest, most twisted, like, human cookies and incest and, like, it's just, like overly overly hateful towards everybody it's like it's like baby's first nihilist you know nihilism face (laughs) and it's also got this weird fascination with like taking people's eyeballs out so there's less story than there was in the first movie because it just focuses so much on like the kills and the kills are so over the top that they're also stupid and comedic you know they're so over the top that even though there's the body counts higher and they've got more you know splatter effects it's it doesn't feel it it doesn't feel fun, you know, like some of those gore movies like um Dead Alive, they're fun gory. They're just like it's all it's like going on um on like a roller coaster or something like that. But here it's just like that ro- what you know, there's a little bit of bumps and ups and downs in the roller coaster, and the rest of it is just animatronics yelling at you and hate and just being the most hateful per- people imaginable. It's just like you know, it's just like punching you in the face whenever you pass by. So it's just like, how, why would I think this is fun? This is just overly hateful and mean-spirited. And whatever gore is there, you could find in better horror movies. So Black Christmas 2006 is uh, Black is basic. You know, is Black Christmas 2000 sucks. <laughs> Sorry, I almost gagged on my own joke there. Sorry, I gagged on my own joke there. Uh, now, coming to the recent remake from Blumhouse, it is the best. It is technically, in terms, in my, in my, you know, in my viewpoint, the best of the versions. We've deviated all like 2006 still carried over the Billy um, 
serial killer callers coming from inside the house plotline from the last move from the first movie. Here we've just gone away with the whole callers coming from inside the house thing. We've gone in an entirely new direction, and I think that's for the best. Um, there are references to the original thing, like there are references to the whole um, plastic bag kill and the Christmas lights thing and the rocking chair. So I mean, they know where to reference that original without just like doing the same story again, but but worse. Uh, the plot this time around is um, once again it's a sorority house. Uh, the sorority house this time is part. It takes part in a dig at the a. Uh, fraternity house where the president um, is is you know they, they mentioned that the president of that fraternity uh, sexually assaulted the um, main character played by Imogen Poots and so for Christmas just before winter break when they're having their little talent show they go in and they mock uh, the boys uh, as being all rapists and during the and after that. The sorority sisters all start disappearing, and they start getting these, um, there's a WhatsApp sort of, uh, program that they, that they use, uh, in this version, where it's a fictionalized account, uh, account for their, um, college founder, who is, who they pinned at, like, there's ties to black magic, and he was a slave owner, and, you know, he's a terrible person, and so the main, one of the, uh, main girls, um, the best friend character is an SJW, a social justice warrior, but it's a very heavy-handed, like, oh, she's always fighting for causes that don't need... And she's always picking a fight with people and always starting, starting shit. And it's like... I get the feeling that this is more of a caricature of what people imagine that sort of person to be like and not... And I get it. It's a, it's, it's a horror movie. You're playing up stereotypes. I... You know that that's up. You know it's not, you're, they wouldn't be the first, you know, horror movie to play up various stereotypes in, uh, instead of writing actual characters. Uh, and I also think like, yeah, it's it's very the way they handle social justice in this movie is like it comes as people who have no real experience with those circles, and so it's all based on various media depictions of social justice rather than actual social justice. Which we'll get into in my, our last review. Oof. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but at the same time, like, this movie is, is more about... You know, that's only one character. And that's a minor subplot throughout the movie. The main focus of the movie is about rape survival trauma. Uh, and Imogen Poots is constantly dealing with, uh, you know, PTSD from that experience... And it keeps coming back and coming back and affecting her over the course of the movie until she find you know the it, it, um the first time she really stayed like because the the you know the guy who raped her um in the, the the former president of the fraternity is there that night and that was the whole thing is like she gets to stand up to him and mock him to his face for being a rapist and not the whole movie then be, you know it kind of centers on her overcoming that trauma. I don't think it does it all that well, but at the same point, like the idea that they wanted to tackle it is is a good is isn't bad. Like I'm glad that they wanted to tackle it, but I don't know how well they handled it. That's just me though. Um, instead of the serial killer inside the house, 
the uh, main villain here is the fraternity, who happens to be part of some crazy cult. And the main, but the other underlying theme there is that this fraternity, who is evil and crazy and cult-like, is also sending out guys uh, who are evil, crazy, and cult-like into the world. So you get, so what happens in these fraternities gets spread out to the rest of the world, and what happen and the kind of you know, douchey mentalities and behaviors that start there will spread. And I think that's that's a good theme to tackle as well. So it's not it's a but once again it's got a be, it's a better written movie. It's got more interesting things to say. It's not I think it could have gone through a couple more drafts to be more finely crafted. Like you could have made it even better. But at the same point it's a Blumhouse slasher remake. So when it goes into that, it's it's really fun. At the same point, I think it's PG-13, which is the first for this franchise. I think the other two are both R's. And so by making it PG-13, they actually cut away from most of the kills. And I feel like there's an unrated cut coming that's going to be even better with all, when, in terms of the kills. And I'm looking forward to that one. But once again, PG-13 is a blight on the industry, and especially on the, on the genre. So Black Christmas was fun in the, in the sense of like... At least there's something more to it. I enjoyed this more than either of the other two versions, but it's but it's definitely not perfect either. I think it, it could have gone through some more fine tuning and you know crafting t in terms of like the story and the character writing and that aspect. And of course, let it be R-rated. You know, but, uh, is this R? Hold on. Let me make sure it's what rating it is. What rating? Rating is... Where is the rating? Why is it not listing the rating? Let me go to IMDb. Oh, there we go. Yep, there we go. Uh, PT, I was right, PT-13. Once again, I feel like if they allowed it to go for an R rating, they could have got, done even more. They could have allowed even more fun. I think the Halloween... Uh, re, uh, reboot there. The last one they did was R-rated. Yeah, so Blumhouse can do R-rating. I don't know why they didn't for this one. Yeah, so Black Christmas. It's kind of hindered by its rating. Uh, some lackluster, some, you know, sort of raw, unrefined, uh, writing and theming there. But it's not terrible. But it's ultimately the best the franchise has seen. So, once again, if Blumhouse wants to keep remaking these old crappy slasher movies and do something more interesting with them, I am for it let, let have at it i at least trust them more than i do michael bay's platinum dunes do a couple in a row my son saved people's lives there is a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes you set that bomb there is a bomb in centennial park you have 30 minutes i don't know how to protect you i think your client is guilty as hell they want to fry you. You ready to start fighting back? Just to ease your concerns about this movie, no, it is not explicitly a defense for Trump. I think people were very... We're, we're making those connections there. And like the FBI to Richard Jewell in the movie, those connections are tenuous. You know, I can see why you, you're seeing that profile there, but it's not 
spe- specifically about that. At least not according to Clint Eastwood. He hasn't openly, and if anybody was going to openly say, yeah, yeah, this is a defense of Trump and the media and the FBI is out to get him. So if anybody was going to be open about that, it would be Clint Eastwood, I would assume. But, you know, the, the, I can see the connection there. But overall, it's not so much about Trump specifically, as much as it is trying to be like, hey, this guy's whole life was crazy. Because, I mean, he also doesn't shy away from the fact that Richard Jewell, the person, at least... The way they he's depicted here is kind of like he's almost like a he's almost like a Homer Simpson character. You know, he he's, he's like a Homer Simpson personality type, where he's a buffoon with delusions of grandeur. Like he keeps saying, uh, "I'm a law enforcement tap too," and it's like, dude, please stop, please stop. Multiple times in the movie, Sam Rockwell has to tell him to stop and stop talking. And he doesn't shut up because he thinks if he says something, it'll help. And it's like, dude, stop. Would you stop? And like, especially like during the course of the investigation where they keep talking about how he fits the profile of the lone bomber, lone wolf act, you know, actor, you know, hero, hero cop sort of uh, trope. He keeps, they keep finding stuff about him. Like the fact that he's, uh, a weapons collector and he's got the, you know, he's got, he, he has a history of be, being, being uh, reprimanded for going above his um, responsibilities to act more like a cop. And he definitely, so I mean like they don't shy away from the fact that this dude is not quite all there. He is definitely delusional in terms of like, I'm a, I'm going to be a real cop someday. And then when he finally has the badge, he, he keeps, overstepping his bounds thinking he's going to be he's going to be like a cop in a movie and not realizing the duties of like as a security guard at a college he's stopping people on the highway that's the kind of stuff that you know crazy person does so it's no wonder that people thought that they that he fit this profile of the guy who wants to be seen as the hero but but in actuality is is just not is completely out of touch with reality. At the same point, this you know they found out that the guy didn't do it, but the way that it was dragged out, and I would have been eight at the time this all went down, uh, so I had no knowledge of it. I was busy watching Rugrats and you know uh, the car- beginning of the cartoon cartoons on TV more than I was concerned with you know the Olympics. But, um, suffice to say that, yeah, this guy was, this guy was definitely not all there, but he wasn't a killer and he wasn't like some Machiavellian, like tinker making bombs so that he can stop them and be the hero. And they, the FBI did him dirty because they would rather focus on the closest lead they have and not actually investigate what, what would have happened. Cause multiple times, um, People outside the FBI are figuring out, oh, this guy obviously didn't do it. But the FBI is still, and like the FBI is questioned, like, do you have a case? And they're like, no, we don't have a case. Kicking rock, kicking the dirt. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I do think, yeah, once and once again, the FBI and the media taking down a guy, making him have to be the villain. So, yeah, the, 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 once again, I get why the connections would be made but it's not but 
I don't know. Once I, I feel like if you you can read it through that lens, but you're missing all. But you're also missing the overall big picture, which is the FBI is also is never qu- all quite noble in their pursuits. And a lot of times, just you know, like a lot of law enforcement, they will take shortcuts and be like, "We just want a conviction. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter. It's not about the truth and finding out who actually did it and punishing real the real criminals. It's about closing cases." And that's always been a constant problem with law enforcement, not just the FBI, but at every level. There's just this, this, there's this pressure to close cases, not actually get the guy. You know, get the per, you know, you you don't have to get the right person. You just have to clo- get a person. And that's kind of the overall all arc and theming of this movie is that the FBI is more concerned with getting a person. And making sure that they get that person more than they are about getting, finding out, investigating who it was that actually did it. They're just like, oh, all the, all the, all the circumstantial evidence, we can make a case for him. But then by the, you know, by the time a few weeks and months roll around, they're like, there's nothing there. And they still won't stop, you know, harassing this guy. Not to mention, and then you add on to the fact that. This was the this was still in the very early days of the twenty four hour news cycle. The news the twenty four hour news cycle is about ten years old, I think. By this point, maybe almost maybe pushing twenty. I forget I forget when uh, CNN first went up in the eighties, but I know it was in the eighties. Um, and so you have people constantly covering this story because they you have to fill content, and this is big news, so they have to always be outside this guy's house. And making sure that they have developments for this whole thing that's under investigation. And it's just like, you know what? Maybe we don't need to just be everywhere at once and just always covering everything everywhere. You could just take a break, for God's sake. Uh, the only real criticism I have for the movie is, I, I, and I had to learn this after the fact, and I felt it when I was watching it. There's a, um, the main female character, played by Olivia Wilde, is a reporter for the Atlanta Journal uh, Courier. And she is portrayed as this sleazy, sleeps with her sources, whatever means necessary to get a juicy story, sort of almost Frank Miller caricature of a, of a female. It was like it feels like if Frank Miller wrote Lois Lane. Um, and it's just such a scuzzball move. Because by all accounts, this the actual person, the actual woman, was an actual reporter who did work for the Atlanta Journal, did break the story, but at no point was ever like that. And so in a movie about the demonization of the media, and about people by the media, here is a piece of media who feels the need to demonize somebody and throw them under the bus to push their agenda. And it's almost ironic in a sense how they ended up doing that. And I absolutely, you know, cannot, you know, that it should always be, if you were going to talk about the Richard Jewell movie, you're going to have to talk about the fact that even in this sort of exoneration for this guy and telling of this guy's story, they made sure to throw the woman under the bus for no reason. Like there was no reason to depict her as that character other than to just be an asshole. You don't need to make her some antagonist. You can just make the FBI the antagonist because the FBI is the antagonist. She just broke the story. She's not some sleazy sleeps around. The woman died before Richard Jewell due to stress-related uh, health complications from this whole coverage. 
So, I mean, this woman had way more going on about her, and they would rather treat her like some trollop and, and just sleeping around with everybody until she realizes, oh, no, I got into the, the, the journalism game to fight to find the truth, and it's like... Her whole arc is just misogynistic to the nth degree. It is so woefully I thought out, and I don't understand why they decided to go this direction other than it's a bunch of dudes thinking like, ah, bitches be crazy, am I right? And yeah, it's such an awful move that didn't need to be done, and they hold the writer and uh, Cleese Eastwood responsible for that. So yeah, it's an interesting story, but I would much rather watch a documentary about the whole Richard Jewell investigation, you know, the lead up into the... Like, I feel like this plays better in a in a documentary than it does in a biopic. At least this biopic. I don't know if um, another director could handle it better, but yeah, this is a bit on the... Of course, it's on the melodramatic side. So yeah, this isn't... This is very middling for uh, Eastwood. It's not as terrible as, say, Jersey Boys, which is just unwatchable. Uh, but it's also not um, his best either. This is very far from his best. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say recommend people go out and see it. I wouldn't much... I mean, if there's a documentary out there about Richard Jewell and the whole investigation and the media circus surrounding it, uh, I would suggest watching that first. And... Not really, you don't really need to see this movie, ultimately. Lord knows I've held on to way too much hate in my life. But all we have is now. All we have is now. Alrighty, this is actually one of the better movies that I, that I've seen this uh, since coming back. Um, the the premise here is um, you're dealing with a black family in the face of this life changing tragedy. Uh, the premise here is you follow two uh, children of this um, Miami based black family. The son, the older son, who is in this who is dealing with a lot of pressure and stress from various points in his life points in his life which leads him to commit um this awful um and once again I, I went in blind to this so i'm trying not to reveal too much but the son gets caught up in something and after that event it switches perspectives from the son to the daughter and then the daughter it's about the daughter and the rest of the family trying to deal with that trauma and you know it's a and and especially dealing with a lot of the anger and resentment and sadness uh, about it. And yeah, this is uh, the latest. This is another one from A24, who, as far as I can tell, the worst they've re they've ever released was middling. I don't, I don't think I've seen a terrible movie from them yet. I've also haven't seen everything from them. So I will re I will reserve that. I will, reser I will reserve the statement that they are the best studio, you know, distributor of cinema out there right now. But yeah, A24 is usually a sign of quality. And this is from the writer-director of It Comes at Night. And for a white guy depicting and writing uh, black characters, you could do worse. This isn't, I'm not gonna say he did it well because I have no business saying how well he wrote a black family. 
but I never got the feeling that he was trying to make something stereotypical. I do. I think he was writing these. These characters could have been, uh, you know, these characters have, have you know various aspects about them that make them specifically black in this writing. But the overall, what happens to them isn't uniquely black. It could be applied to any sort of character. And so it's it's not. He's not trying to write a black experience sort of movie. He's just writing this family drama and the main characters are all black. In fact, the, the daughter is played by, I believe, I don't know if the actress has it, but I know the, um, I noticed, uh, that, uh, the daughter had vitiligo, which is, you know, the think the only other time I saw that was with, uh, Domino in Deadpool two. And that was, uh, makeup applied. I think the actress may have, let me see. Uh, buh, buh, buh. Hmm. I think that. Yeah, that, that must be her. So does she have? Let me see what trivia on IMDb. It would say. Uh. Ba 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 Early in her career. Raised in Vancouver. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look it up while I'm talking about it. Uh. But yeah, this is, uh, the, the sister is played by um, Taylor Russell, who was best known for the Netflix Lost in Space movie. And um, the, uh, but then, yeah, the whole aspect of um, this movie is first, it, it's like this really well paced drama covering um first this the perspective of this son who's under so much pressure to and and how it's affecting um himself and his per and his life and up to the point where he just does something unforgivable and then after that we see the rest of his family specifically his sister try to deal with the aftermath of what happened and I don't want to give too much away about the plot details because watching it play out is super compelling. I'm really glad that I didn't get a chance to like watch a trailer for this. Although the trailers didn't give seem to focus on uh, the parents. Play, one of them is played by Sterling K. Brown. And they seem to focus a lot on that aspect more so than the fact that it's about the children. And so yeah, I, I would try to go... If you, if you get a chance to... Um, See this, see, try to go into it as blind as possible. And then that way you're not really let down by any one thing by the marketing campaign. And yeah, it's it's a really interesting movie. Uh, and I wouldn't say it's best of the year, but I'm glad, I, I had a lot of respect for it. I think my big thing is that human dramas and these sort of indie movies where it's very slow paced, is, they just don't really appeal to me. I'm much more of a guy who's like, well, you have the opportunity to tell whatever story you want. Why would you be, why would I want to, you know, do, you know, why would I want to see something that's kind of mundane ultimately? You know, why something everyday stuff, you know? Uh, not, not that this, what happens here is everyday stuff, but like it, people are losing their minds over marriage story. And as far as I can tell, that's just the couple that, the cup, you know, the couple on the rocks who gets invited to your friend's party and you have to sit there in the corner, you know, sipping your drink like, awkward, the movie, you know? So from what I can tell, um, the actress Taylor Russell does not herself have vitiligo, but that's, this is, uh, they just applied the makeup to her character 
because uh, you notice it in the film. I definitely noticed, uh, especially with all the close-ups on her, that, that that she definitely has something along those lines the character does. It's never addressed. It's just existent within there. And you know, if you know what to look, if you know the, the uh, visual signs for it, you know it's there. So yeah, it's... Waves is a solid movie. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out, and um, I'd love to hear uh, y'all's thoughts on it, because I'm not hearing a lot of talk about this, and I think it's actually pretty good. So, Waves is good. Check it out. No university should ever create a safe space. You're not going to protect people, and so the best you can do is to make them strong. It bothers me for the young people who are being deprived of anything that could open their minds. You have the right to remain silent. Oh boy, I'm not looking forward to this one. Okay, um... Right off the bat, I want to say that if you agree with anything about this movie and the two guys who made it, I don't want you listening to my podcast. This isn't a place for, like, free platform for open debate and marketplace of ideas. No, this is me talking about movies. And I'm not here to debate you on anything. I'm here to talk about movies. And the fact of the matter is, this is the worst movie I have ever seen. This is the second movie I have ever watched where I had to stop watching it. Actively stop watching it because I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I have sat... Here's some of the things that I have sat through. Oogie Loves... Inappropriate Comedy, which is from Vince the ShamWow Guy. Dinesh D'Souza. Unplanned, the the whole abortion girl biopic whatever nonsense that was. That Christ, so many Christ exploitation movies that actively mis, you know, misrepresent the truth and are, and are just there to be propaganda. I have sat through so many terrible movies. Terrible on purpose. Terrible in concept, terrible by accident. So many awful, awful movies. And especially as I'm going through my the decade, I have watched the Nutcracker 3D movie from a couple years ago that features Nathan Lane as Albert Einstein for no reason, and then the, the Rat Army is Nazis. I have watched terrible romances, the, the various Valentine's Day, like, holiday crap that um what's his name did uh, i don't even remember his name but yeah mother's day uh new year's eve i've watched so many just absolutely terribly made movies nothing i've watched movies that made have made me viscerally angry the last movie that did this to me was tim and eric's billion dollar movie in 2012 i could not stand tim and eric i have no idea i have no real thoughts on them now i never really got into their stuff I've only heard them, ref seen them referenced, so I haven't watched their show at all. But trying to watch their movie, I actively gave up, I think, like half an hour in. This movie, since I started reviewing movies, is the first one to actively make me physically ill. And I feel like I'm just beating around the bush at this point, so let's just... Say what it is. This is Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager pretending that they're the victims of censorship. Despite the fact that they both have wildly successful media outlets 
that cater to their every stupid, stupid thought, they are the victims. They are being censored. And so is ev- and so are other conservatives and free speech moguls like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and pedophile Milo Yiannopoulos. These truly great bastions of free speech, this is who they're assiding with. This is who they think uh, uh, you know, are the real victims in our society. Tim Allen complaining that people won't laugh at his stupid, stupid jokes, despite the fact that his dumbass show is still on the air. Yeah, these are the real victims. I actively could not... And the worst part, the worst part of all of this... Normally when these bad movies I watch, there's like nobody there. There's like one person there, maybe. I was in a theater of that seated about, I would say, 30 to 40 people. Half of the theater was filled watching this movie. And this was the only theater that showed this movie in all of Akron. In fact, in most of the Northeast Ohio area around Akron and Cleveland. This was the only theater showing it. And there were like 20 people in the theater with me. And they were all like nodding along and like, oh, yeah, yes, yes. You know, you know, and it's like, even though I'm like, it's actively terrible. They're all like, oh, yeah, he's totally right. And they're just eating all of this up there. It's a trough of pig shit. I can tell I'm almost throwing up trying to stomach it. And they're just gobbling it up like, yeah, absolutely. Totally right. Libtards. And... I couldn't take it. I I actively left the movie. 50 minutes in, I walked out to the to the outside of the door to the theater and I was talking to both the Radio Dead Air people on Discord and um to the Puzzle and Thunderstorm Facebook group. Uh, I was talking to people who kind of would know my this pain, would know this feeling. And both of them said, "Get out." Call the police. And I got the hell out of there. I could not take it anymore. And everyone said, for my own mental well-being, don't, don't, don't sit there anymore. Actively getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Using terrible Simpsons and South Park jokes. A parody superhero team called the Social Justice Warriors. Jokes that are only funny if you're a hack jerk-off. They're playing these as the levity in this whole bullshit narrative that they are victims of censorship. Despite the fact that they even they even acknowledge that actual censorship occurs in by governments. None of the censorship that's happening here is by the U.S. Government. It is by people's outrage and deplatforming. It is people acting privately and organizations, schools acting privately with deplatforming people who they do not who who they do not wish to speak. 
These people are denied platforms. They, Adam Carolla has, quote, the most downloaded podcast in the world. How is he being deplatformed? How is he being canceled? How is he being censored? Matt, not even the worst of it. Dennis Prager, who by all accounts is just a literal propagandist pumping out conservative bullshit on his quote-unquote university channel. It is, he is a despicable, just absolute bullshit artist. And they play him as like some hero, free speech, who fought the, who, 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 you know, undermined the Russians for the state of Israel. And it's just like, Dennis Prager is some hero and, you know, you know, agent of Israel and free speech and liberty. And it's just like, you guys are so full of shit. You're so full of shit. You're actively full of shit and you're spewing it out at us and you expect us to take it. No, I refuse. I actively refuse to sit there and take bullshit. Dinesh just, like, that's the thing. Dinesh Deshuza also spouts bullshit. He actively misrepresents history, the facts, reality, to push this whole agenda that he's right. And if you talk to actual historians, they can easily debunk all of his nonsense. And he is still somehow a better filmmaker than the guy who made this movie. Whoever, whatever hack ended up making this movie for Adam Carolla and, and Dennis Prager, somehow he's actively worse than Dinesh D'Souza, arguably the worst documentarian in the history of documentary filmmaking. Um, I caught his name as like Richard Folk, I think. And I don't, I don't even, I've never even heard of him. Uh, hmm. Maybe it wasn't Richard Folk. Uh, oh, shoot. Hold on. But yeah, this... The, the filmmaking is basically if... Justin Folk. If Dinesh D'Souza was an even worse filmmaker. So this is a guy who is worse at filmmaking than Dinesh D'Souza. And apparently he's only, this is his first real credit as a director. His only other thing was some YouTube video or something called Megabyte, The Adventures of Megabyte Man. Starring him and made by him and Jamie Alexander. Uh, Jamie Alexander being some guy. I don't really recognize him from anything. Although he did apparently do uh, the stunt work for Halo 4. Uh, can I get a witness protection? <laughs> so yeah, we're not dealing with, you know, bastions of great filmmaking by any means. Like, the only other thing that this Justin Falk ever did was visual effects for the 2008 Incredible Hulk movie and the Matrix sequels. And the Enter the Matrix video game. He was a visual effects artist, and this is his first actual directing job outside of a short video. And he's producing it too. So that basically means that this guy was in it. This guy was all into this project. So he's clearly just a complete jerk off as well. If this is what these this is what he's really behind. 
This is what he puts his name to. Ugh. I'm driving myself crazy trying to re trying to get people to understand how terrible this movie is. A movie which is rated 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb. So if you if you uh, want any justice seen to the world, recognize this terrible movie and let people know that it is absolutely unwatchable. The people behind the people who support this are gen are genuinely delusional. I'm sorry, I I can't say anything else. They are delusional to think a this is this is correct. B this is good. This is not good. This is not good filmmaking. Even if it was spouting social justice support and talking about how how much we have to fight against the ails of the world. If this was a Michael Moore movie, I would still call it the worst movie I've ever seen because it is so inexorably terrible. This is documentary filmmaking at its worst. This is this isn't even documentary filmmaking. This is absolute propaganda bullshit. This is utter and complete nonsense. And I can't recommend anybody ever watch this. If you get a if you see it out in the wild, I would recommend you you get rid of it. Just just dump it somewhere with the other toxic waste poisoning our environment, poisoning the world. It's it is actively terrible. And they act like they're the heroes of it all. These utter you know what it, and you know what it is? You know what the big kicker is? Adam Carolla drove me to a suicidal state of mind. Back in the back after I graduated college, I used to listen to Carolla's stupid ass podcast all the time. I totally bought into his bullshit libertarian mantras. And as he was talking, he would actively demonize everything I cared about. Just a, a love of pop culture stuff. You know, any any semblance of left-leaning politics, anything that I was, you know, safely liberal center left at that point, he was demonizing me for even existing and saying, I'm the problem. And I bought into it. I totally bought into the idea that I was the problem and I was suicidal. I was actively hating myself to the point of Definitely, uh, I could definitely, if I listened to him any longer, I would probably have just killed myself. That's no hyperbole. If I continued to listen to him constantly reminding me how terrible I am, it was an abusive re parasocial relationship. Absolutely abusive. And I took it, and eventually I reached, and I think it was the point where he had Dinesh D'Souza, who I already knew was a bullshit artist, on his show, acting like the some, you know, martyr for the right who was targeted for his political beliefs and not because he actually committed fraud it, it having Corolla just act like Dinesh D'Souza is some hero it was finally what got me free of him and the fact that he made a Dinesh D'Souza wannabe movie speaks volumes to how much of a hack he is he, he had to crowdfund a movie that didn't make any money he tried to do another movie and I bought, I have that movie. I have that movie and I will, and I no longer want, I don't want to even give that to goodwill. I don't want that toxicity out in the world.
is he is genuinely a hateful human being and he acts like he's some working class hero and you know some prophet you know he's some guy who preaches common sense values he loves talking about that he is a hack of the highest order he is he is the <laughs> He's the loser who couldn't make it while Jimmy Kimmel blew him out of the water. It was very clear, The more, even when you go back and rewatch all the stuff that he did with Jimmy Kimmel, who the real talent was. There's a reason Kimmel went on to stardom while Corolla just basically, just basically bullshitted his way to meager, to, to financial success by taking advantage of people's stupidity. Uh, yeah. Corolla's a hack, Prager's a bullshit artist, and this movie is garbage, and actively the worst thing I have ever seen. Like, I'm gonna try, eventually go back and rewatch Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. There is no way in hell I, this would, it, it's gonna be as bad as this. This is actively the worst thing I've ever seen. Ever. And in fact, this is, since this is the new low bar, I'm, I would be shocked if I found, if something came out in my lifetime that was worse than this. And I will say it again. If you in any way agree with this movie, if you think this movie is right and I am wrong, I don't want you listening to my podcast. I don't want you downloading this podcast. I don't want you listening to me because we, we are not on the same page. We are not. We are, I would much rather have people recognize how terrible this is than people who don't and think this this is somebody described it the best way um for the av club uh their review of of the movie basically broke down everything about it that everything i could think about it um so before i want to close this out with exactly um you know some of some of the highlights from their review for it. They're the only other person I've um, seen cover this movie. I haven't seen any other reviews for it. Oh, hey, it's already it's on their uh, 20 worst films of 2019. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, Adam Kroll and Dennis Prager make for an ideological anti-Reese's Cup. Two horrible ideologues that taste horrible together. <laughs> yep. Uh, in this tirade of reactionary propaganda masquerading as a free speech crusade by wobbly moral calculus of the former Man Show co-host and the founder emeritus of PragerU, the stakes for our First Amendment rights amount to a steady stream of speaking gigs for Tim Allen and Ben Shapiro being permitted to air his grievances for the students of Berkeley. Basically an all-caps tweet thread from hell. It's a frontal assault on rhetorical discipline, pol political conscience, and everything in the basic vicinity of comedy. But not even on Twitter are we forced to watch the leathery, reanimated corpse of Alan Dershowitz advise us, If you want to feel good, get a massage. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That basically sums it up. Uh, AV Club uh, broke down. But yeah, the AV Club does not... Uh, shy away from how terrible this whole thing is. It, it genuinely is just an awful, awful piece of media. And the fact that they, I'm surprised that they didn't rate it any higher. Like they rated, um, like the Lion King remake and the Haunting, Haunting, Haunting of Sharon Tate I get. Uh, replicas, um, the Fred Durst movie they rated as, see, that's the thing. A bunch of the stuff that they rated as higher, Rambo, Less Blood, Anna. Like, I didn't mind Anna. I think Anna was fine. But 
Yeah, I genuinely, yeah, I genuinely think No Safe Spaces is the worst movie, not only of this year, but that I have ever seen. Genuinely the worst film I have ever had to witness, and nobody should ever have to do it. And if you agree with it, I don't want any part of you near this podcast. I'm not here to provide a platform for debate. This isn't a debate club. This is a movie review podcast. I'm not here to placate whatever ideas you have. Whatever discussion you want to have about this piece of shit, I don't want it. I don't want you here defending it. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't have the energy to deal with your bullshit. So yeah, I don't want to hear your thoughts on this movie. I I don't even care if you agree with me. I never want to think about this movie again. No safe spaces is utter garbage, and so are the people who support it. The people who made their garbage, the people who supported our garbage, and it's just a toxic waste dump of society. <sighs> you know, it kind of feels cathartic letting that all off my chest. So yeah, um, I don't know if that does anything uh, for me after this, if it puts me on some sort of, like, hate list uh, for, troll, for right-wing trolls or... Maybe it gets people's attention like, hey, this guy's onto something. Listen to him rant about how stupid this Adam Carolla, Dennis Prager movie is. Yeah, yeah, this is just genuinely, an, it was a genuinely awful movie and I never want to think about it ever again. Oh, I'm glad the only time I'll ever have to think about it again is when I cover the worst of the decade and the worst of, uh, the, of the year uh, coming soon. So once those are done, then I'll never have to think about that piece of utter toxic dog shit ever again uh so yeah um aside from that piece of shit uh if you i'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on the waves on richard jewell and the, all the other movies i discussed and um i would love to get some feedback from you guys as well uh if y'all want to kind of give me an idea of like if would you prefer a um top 10 list for this year instead of top seven Give me what you, give. you know, if you have some thoughts and ideas that you want to see from this podcast, I'd love to hear it. And, um, yeah, I'm going to keep uh, working my way through the decade list and try to get um, get that list finalized. So stay tuned for that in, uh, coming in, in uh, January. But, yeah, um, that does for this show, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com and if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by following us on our on the browser, whitelisting us on your ad blocker, clicking the favorite, and then keep up to date on, on the feed there or if, and check out all of our other fine programming. Uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragon Types is on hold for right now. There's a big uh, mess up uh, behind the scenes that we're taking care of now so we that should be up and running again before the end of the year but for right now it's uh kind of uh re you know re, re kind of reformatting as it were uh but check out the latest episode of living in the stacks which premiered you can check out all of Adana stuff over at snarcast uh beyond the cabin in the woods once more with feeling um the family business all of that and uh if you're a podcaster as well and you would like to join our little family uh you can do so by sending us your info to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com uh we'll discuss it and see if you're a good fit for us 
If you're listening to us on the go, you can check us out on uh, your various podcast providers, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And uh, if you'd be so kind as to leave a five-star rating and review, letting people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well, that'd be great. You can also share us on your various social media outlets. I'm, uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. Uh, you can keep up to date on the Letterboxd uh, reviews for the worst of the decade. Over on uh, Letterboxd, uh, follow Corn Junkie Pod as well, and then uh, Popcorn Junkie on Stardust is starting to get some uh, action again. I'm start working my way through all the reviews I did, catching myself up. And then, uh, if you want to say anything to the podcast, you can do so at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Let, uh, if you have, an, if you want me to read the thing out on the on the uh, mic, say so in either the subject line or the message. And once again, if you're if, you, if all, all you're there to do is defend no safe spaces, you get a block. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not here to placate your weird obsession with debate. Not even debate. You want to yell, you know, the people who demand to be debated don't even want an actual debate. They want to be, they want to yell at people and pretend they won. It's, it, it is the most toxic form of rhetoric ever. And it's by people who are just at complete assholes. So now I'm not here to debate you, and you know you get you know enjoy the band hammer, you piece of shit. Uh, everyone else, uh, feel free to send a message, and I'll get back to you either privately or on the mic, whichever you would prefer. And then uh, that does it for this uh, week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and hopefully uh, the the next episode won't be as toxic uh, by the end. One can only hope. theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. <laughs>